people who are doing black hat tactics, it's not going to work out for you in the long run. And I, I don't do that. I really focus on putting out the absolute best content that there could ever be on this topic. And I'm not going around afterwards saying like, hey, can you link to me? And then I'll link to you. It's, it's not a good strategy. What, what you need to do is make your content the absolute best content that that person could ever find on the topic and then give them everything else they might be wondering about while they're there. We stand today. The Business Method. With a shout out. The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs' systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring successful entrepreneurs and high-profile people dissecting their business models. We dissect the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that produce over a million dollars in annual revenue. And now we're interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business and influence income results, economies, and cultures. There's a growing number of people building these caliber of businesses like this, and we're going to figure out what it takes to make this happen now let's jump in today's show the business method the dream for so many people is to be able to travel the world blog about their travels and make money online for so many it seems like an impossible quest but the truth is today it is more of a reality than ever before Our guest today is one woman that forged that life for herself. She was burnt out working as an investment banker and decided that she was going to travel the world and blog about her adventures. After a couple of years, the blog started to take off and now Kristen Addis is the mind behind Be My Travel Muse, a blog about and for female solo travelers. She spent years on the road traveling solo and sharing her story and what she learned with other women that wanted to do the same. Be My Travel Muse is considered an authority on solo traveling and destinations worldwide. The blog is a widely read travel website geared towards solo female and intrepid travelers who like to have authentic independent travel experiences. Kristen has built her blog into a full-fledged business with multiple sources of income and a community of followers that she inspires. Throughout the podcast today, we chat with Kristen about what it was like traveling the world solo and building an online business, how she made this blog successful, how she added multiple sources of revenue for the business, how she manages her social media and the traffic she gets from her social media, and of course, how she manages influence as a successful entrepreneur. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Kristen Addis. Entrepreneur's systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Listeners, welcome to the show today. We have Kristen Addis joining us. She is a female solo travel blogger and the founder of BeMyTravelMuse.com. And she's joining us from the very exotic and remote location. Uh, Did you say Reno, Nevada, Kristen? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's correct. What are you doing in Reno, Nevada? It's my new home base after four and a half years in Berlin. Oh, wow. And why did you choose out of all the places in the world? Why did you choose? Because you're from California, right? That's right. Uh, Well, now I only live 30 minutes away from California, but I don't have, I don't pay California state income taxes. And I also (laughs) am really close to nature in Lake Tahoe. And I knew that after only living in big cities my whole life that I really wanted something smaller. Uh, How big is Reno? I think it's only a couple hundred thousand people. And it's actually much cooler than I initially thought. So I can't complain. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, other than like maybe tax reasons and around nature, was there anything else? Was, was there anybody there? Or did you just like the vibe of the city? Or My boyfriend does live here. That definitely drew me here. I probably wouldn't have picked it, but I like it now. <laughs> <laughs> Good. And and you spent four years as having a base in Berlin, right? Four and a half, actually. Yeah. Uh, so I hear a lot like, you know, five, six years ago, Berlin was really 
big on the map for kind of the tech location independent entrepreneur scene and then it kind of fizzled out a bit but now it's kind of getting some momentum again um but what's your perspective on berlin why did you like it i've only known it more as like a broke artist scene and that is what i loved about it that it's just so casual and artsy and interesting and you can just really be whoever you want there and people don't ask you what you do for a living Maybe even by the third time they've hung out with you, they still don't know. So I love that that's not question number one because I don't feel like people are trying to size me up in some way. That's cool. I like that too. Are, have you found any other cities uh, besides Berlin when where people are like that? I mean, what's what's nice about Berlin is that it's just so laid back and that it is a cheap city. So it's really not about what you get do for a living it's about what you do what you contribute art wise and i haven't found another place like that and that's why i picked it for so long and so then the boyfriend drag you back to reno huh i had actually made the choice to leave germany before we met so it was kind of funny how i met him shortly after and i really didn't know where i was going to land next so <laughs> have you had any other bases besides now reno and berlin I grew up in greater Los Angeles. I lived in Santa Barbara and also Newport Beach in California, but I, I did also live in Taiwan for a study abroad program back when I was 21, but otherwise, no, I was nomadic. I want to chit chat more about your story. I think you, you started being nomadic in 2012. Is that right? Correct. September. Okay. September, 2012. What was the day that you left? Do you remember the date, the exact date? I believe it was September 25th, 2012. Okay. Mine was April 27th, 2011. Oh, so it's my, like my birthday is April 26th. <laughs> is it really? Oh. <laughs> that's like uh, my, that's my second birthday, really. So every, yeah. every year, like I either write a blog post or make a podcast or do something special because it was like, like an important day for me. Like, was it important for you? Absolutely. And I like to reflect on the past year every time it comes around again, because yeah, it was like my second birthday too. What are, so when you do reflect about your, your year, um, did you say September, what day? 25th, I'm pretty sure, but it might be the 27th. I'll have to verify. I know I moved the flight a couple days actually. When you uh, reminisce or when you think about your previous year, what do you think about? Do you have any, like, do you blog about it? Do you journal about it? I like to journal every day, and though I'm not as disciplined about it as I would like to be, I do reflect every year right around New Year's actually on the previous year, but periodically throughout the year too, and I'm usually absolutely mind blown by how far away certain things seem and how close at the same time. Do you mean like future projects or future goals? It's almost always a reflection on the past, trying to appreciate how far I've come because I'm sure as many entrepreneurs can relate to, sometimes it's hard to celebrate your wins when you're so focused on the next rung of the ladder. And so I know I have to do that in order to calm down and be, be healthy about it. <laughs> what was the decision like for you to start to travel and be location independent? What, what made it happen? What was tough for me was the limited time off that I got each year. It was 14 days paid time off. And so, you know, if we were sick, obviously that came out of our vacation time. And that really was, that was uncool. I think we have really unhealthy habits and rules around vacation time in the U.S. So I couldn't even take two weeks off at a time if I had accrued it, which was keeping me from going very far. And then I, I needed a shoulder surgery towards the end of my time at the finance firm that I worked at. And I just remember feeling happier sitting in a chair, unable to move than being in my cubicle. And I just thought, this is not how it's supposed to be when you're in your 20s. So that really set the wheels in motion. I thought back then that it was one of the worst things that ever happened to me. But now I can see like so many things that it was a necessary step. I think that's kind of the way the universe works sometimes actually most of the time when we think it's the worst thing that could ever happen there's always something on the other side that that comes out really great for the most part I think so what year did you start the travel blog in 2012 when you left the U.S.? Yes I had bought the domain the previous April and I started putting a few little things on it like about Coachella and <laughs> Vegas. And then I took off and I started writing about solo travel in Southeast Asia. And I was looking for off the beaten path destinations. And it was really more like a diary back then. 
And did you do this with the, the intention of, oh, maybe one day I can make some money or, or you just wanted to have a place to put your stories? Back then, my goal was a book deal. There was no such thing as an influencer, you know, way, way back in 2012. Yeah, no such thing as an influencer. Instagram was brand new, like really in its infancy. So I don't really know back then actually what made me so confident in doing this because there weren't even that many people who were making a dime off of it. But all I knew was that at least to have a resume of of my writing would get me some opportunities. I believed it would get my foot in the door because writing was a lifelong dream for me. So, so the idea was getting your foot in the door so you could have a book deal in the future or some sort of writing opportunity, right? Yeah. Or maybe I could freelance write for publications there. I I believed that it would at least get my work out there in a way that I wouldn't otherwise be able to. I'm grateful for the internet for that. So when did, how long did it take? Like how often were you writing in the early days? Like the first one, two, three years? I tried to do three posts per month, but I was also laser focused on writing for anyone else who would let me. So I made as many relationships as I could with other bloggers, many of whom were also in Southeast Asia, where I spent the first two years of my travels and just tried to contribute as much as I could to their websites because they had bigger audiences than I did. And I would obviously offer them the content for free, but it would give me exposure to new audiences and a valuable backlink. How long did you do that for? I still do it periodically, not as often anymore. I still write for nomadicmat.com and I have a couple of others where sometimes we'll trade um, posts, but I was pretty intent on that doing as much as I could the first two, three years. When did things start to take off for you as as like, when did you realize that, oh, I can make money from this and and make it a full-time income? What I was able to do, at least within the first year, is get some freelance writing contracts. They did not pay very well, but at least it was money that could keep me going and working from wherever I wanted. So I guess you could say within the first year. But I wasn't actually doing anything more than breaking even until probably my third year. I think that a lot of people don't realize that it's it's a lot of faith and a labor of love for a long time with a lot of the blogs that are around today. Yeah, I think that's true with so many businesses as well. You know, um, it's a labor of love for, a, just like you said, a very long time until things start to take off. Uh, did you ever have any doubts about, you know, this? You, I mean, I guess you were doing it as a hobby and something you really enjoyed. Did you ever have any doubts like or want to give up? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I didn't necessarily want to give up, but I realized around the middle of my second year, I mean, my money was dwindling. I had actually come home and sold my car after my first year to continue to finance my travels. But even that was starting to run low. And I started hitchhiking around China because I just didn't have money for trains. And so that, that I think paints a picture of how far I was willing to go to make my money last. I mean, I was only sleeping in dorms for those first two years. I would pride myself on every dollar that I could manage to spend. So if there was a flight that would be three hours, but it was several hundred dollars, I would take a cargo ferry for 20 bucks. I would do anything. (laughs) So I I really put in the effort to save my money, but I almost took a job in year two. I almost, um, I was looking at a marketing role for a fast food company. And then I just realized I can't do that. That's, that's what I left. I don't want to work for a company where I don't feel I'm doing anything that's good. Do you have like this, say if you did have a a job opportunity in year two and and it was with a company that you thought was doing good things, do you think you would still take it? It's hard to answer that question because it's not what happened. So I I don't really have an answer for, I try not to dwell on any what ifs because it's just not how things went. But the fact is I didn't have a lot of opportunities. I wasn't actively looking for them either, but I always knew that I could at least teach English in Asia if I had to. It's part of the world I love and those jobs are not hard to come by. So I had a plan. I wasn't going to quit, but it was getting harder and harder to survive for sure. Did, did you ever almost break any other times besides that one time? Thankfully, around year three, things really picked up for me and growth year over year has been amazing since. So I haven't had to consider quitting. There have been times when it's been really stressful and I've questioned if it's worth it, but I will always want to be my own boss from here on out. 
what was it like in that moment that you realized like this thing was was going to work for you? I think you said in year three, right? Things started to take off. Um, can you explain that moment to us? Do you remember it? Sure. Yeah, definitely. I can trace it all back to when I wrote a book called Conquering Mountains, How to Solo Travel the World Fearlessly. It's a guidebook for solo female travelers. There just wasn't one out there that was really specifically for women who travel alone yet. And a lot of bloggers had ebooks, but this one in particular just answered a question that a lot of people had. And solo female travel was getting more popular as a concept. More women were deciding to travel. So the iron was hot. Basically, I struck. And that made me an authority on the topic for a lot of news outlets. So a lot happened at once. I got published in BuzzFeed, or they, they get, they didn't, BuzzFeed did an interview with me. And then Business Insider did one. And then that got translated into a bunch of different languages. And then the Daily Mail picked it up. So, and then Inc. So a lot of opportunities arose from that. And almost overnight, my blog traffic doubled and so did my income. So on the topic of solo travel, solo female travel, have you traveled the majority of this time? Like I know you're in a relationship now, but you do most of your travel solo, right? Correct. Still do. And do you just tell the boyfriend like, hey, I need to go travel for, for some time. I'll be back in a few weeks. Well, thankfully, sometimes he's able to come with me. But I think that anyone who is going to date a woman in my position has to understand that this is work and this is what we do. And so it's got to be with someone who's supportive. So I'm, I'm curious, like, you know, as a guy, like we don't think there's a lot of cultures out there, especially in North America where solo travel isn't common, right? It's for females. But then you meet some Europeans or people in South America where it's much more common. Um, So for you as a female solo travel, what are some of the things that you really enjoy um, going out on your own and traveling by yourself? Um, What are some of the things that that make you want to do it? The most important thing and what i really champion when I talk about it and write about it is the self-efficacy. You build so much ability to be the chief architect of everything that happens in your own life. I think you realize how much is within your control and how important it is that you take care of things on your own. I mean, if something goes wrong and I'm by myself, there's just no point in getting upset in dwelling on it or in trying to pass it off to someone else because there is no one else. So I just get straight to problem solving and that's been an incredible gift and it's served me in all aspects of life. Do you have one moment during your travels that was um, maybe the most, uh, I wouldn't say euphoric, but eye-opening or inspirational or one, one moment that really stands out for you? There have really been so many, so it's hard to pick, but... Could you share one? I had a really wonderful moment in the Philippines about a year ago when um, a woman who had been reading my blog saw that I was going to be in her city and she actually came and picked me up from the airport and took me all around her town for the day. And we had a moment where I was just telling her about um, what it means to me to empower other women and what I think the world needs in terms of of more women doing this and it just I could tell that it it touched her so deeply there were almost tears in her eyes and it just helped me to realize this is an important message for all the times when people sort of attack me online or when I start to doubt myself I have to remember what her reaction was to that because people from all around the world need to feel understood and heard and I think now's a really good time to be talking about this stuff so let's switch now and talk a little bit more or more in details about the business and the the influence that you have gained over the years. <clears throat> so currently, like I was checking out your website and, and the ways that you make money, um, you have courses, you have um, you have your your book, you have traffic on 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 the website or ads on the website, and then you do tours as well. Is that correct? Yes, and then a couple of books that I've written. What are the names of your books? The one I referenced earlier is Conquering Mountains, How to Solo Travel the World Fearlessly. And then there's also a memoir that I wrote that's been out for a few years 
called A Thousand New Beginnings. And it was just about my first couple of years solo traveling in Southeast Asia. Which source of revenue, Kristen, is the main source of revenue for the business now? It's really a combination of things, which I think is pretty important if you're going to be in my position, which is, yes, I get ad revenue which is, yes, I get ad revenue from the blog, which is helpful, nice passive income. I'm also hired by brands and destinations to go and promote their destination. Like I worked with Visit Montana, I worked with Visit Idaho over the summer, and those are such natural fits for me because I love the outdoors and I am a big time Idaho enthusiast anyway. So these dream collaborations are a really wonderful source of income as well as the tourists, for sure, that's a, that's a helpful way to bring in money. Anything where I can be doing it under my own brand name is, is a great way. Was it the tour companies that reached out to you to have them come promote? Or did you reach out to them? Or how, did, how, how does that work? Plenty of tour companies have come knocking on my door, still do all the time, asking if I want to try to fill seats on their tours, and I've turned them all down. I'm not interested because these are my tours, actually. These are Be My Travel Muse branded tours. I do the itinerary. I do the planning, but I don't lead by myself. I have a co-guide every time, so that's super helpful and I think essential. Did you find... So I've done tours before, and I've put a lot of events together. Um, Did you find it took a little while to kind of scale it to to bring it to make it profitable because for me every time I do an event it seems like unless and the people I talk to kind of agree with this unless like you've have a good solid network that's ready to buy you know sometimes it takes two or three events until you know the profit share starts to to add up so I'm curious if you have a similar experience or or for you it took off and it worked really well the first time you did it Thankfully, it's been profitable for me every time because I'm able to fill almost every tour. I've only had one or two that didn't fill. And um, the it's been my readers who come. So I just advertise it on my own channels. And my first tour was to Peru and it sold out in 11 days. Oh, wow. How cool. Do you do anything besides the tours? Do you do anything special like, um, you know, have a little have certain parties or celebrations or ceremonies or rituals or anything like that? I would definitely love to in the future. These are really adventure-based. So I took a group of women backpacking off trail in Alaska. For most of them, it was their first time ever. So it's pretty cool to teach people how to live off the grid and how to hike with a map and compass. Um, A really exciting one that's coming up is we're going to be swimming with humpback whales in French Polynesia. So it's all very adventurous stuff. Do you do anything to help um, the women bond on the trip or do you find like the, the, the tours and the adventure just kind of takes care of that, that part on its own? What I love about them is that we have WhatsApp groups from the trips that are still active over a year and a half later. I find that people bond on their own without me having to push it because number one, my co-guide and I set a very laid back, silly tone. And so I think that just makes it easier to do these things that can be difficult and out of people's comfort zones because we're laughing and having fun. And I think when you're doing these things together, the the bonding is going to happen without us having to try to force anything. And out of like all the ways that you bring money in for the business, what would the percentage be that you think uh, the tours bring in? Let's see. I've only been doing them for about a year and a half, but they probably brought in a good third last year for 2019. And then you said also that you said Idaho and was it the states or an individual company that has you come up and and do some work with them, some contracting work? So they're destination marketing organizations, and they have a pot of money that they put towards marketing. And influencer marketing has been growing like crazy. So a lot of these destinations are seeing a lot of value in hiring someone like me to come out and photograph and maybe film and write about the destination on my channels. And it's, it can be everything from a region or a town or a hotel even, all the way up to a whole country. I've been hired by Kyrgyzstan before. Oh, how cool. Do they pay well for that? It definitely depends on how big your audience is. And I think you have to know what you're worth. But I did 11 of these collaborations last year, and I wouldn't do it for less than 5000 
And so they're, so are they reaching out to you or do you reach out to them to, for the partnership? We don't really pitch. So it's mostly them reaching out to me or I've had a couple situations where it was a relationship that I had from a friend or from a, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank. It was either through a recommendation from a friend or a lot of them I've met at conferences. And then they just say, hey, come and come see our country or see our state or see our location or see our hotel and then write about it or make a movie about it and then share it with your audience. Is that how it works? Yeah, exactly. We usually have an itinerary that we agree upon before I go. And I have a lot of input in it because I want to make sure that it's authentic to the brand. And the nice thing about working as an influencer in 2019, I'm sure 2020 is that they know already that you're a good fit for their destination or brand. So I'm not having brands reaching out to me where it's such a clear, bad fit. And I mean, maybe that does happen, but they mostly go to my assistant and she's my great filter before it gets to me. (laughs) So we're only doing things where it just makes sense. It's something I would do anyway. How do you decide on how much your time is worth for that? Because you said you wouldn't do one for less than 5,000 nowadays. Um, What's some of the things that you consider to make sure that it's going to be worth your time and and how you decide on the, the amount to charge? What we really have to look at is the historical data for other partners who are similar. And my traffic grew 100% from last year. So my reach is farther. And we look at how many times I've been able to rank number one on Google, for example, as a result of a partnership that I've had with a brand. I have one brand I've worked with for three years now. It's a car rental company. And all but one of the blog posts that I've written in conjunction with them is number one on Google right now. So on the on topic of traffic, how much traffic do you regularly get through your website? It's grown a lot. Like I said, um, it's looking, it's, I'm about to crack 600,000 page views a month. I'm sure that'll happen in January. Congratulations before it happens. I wish <laughs> you luck. <laughs> um, how did you get uh, the contract or the partnership in, did you say Kyrgyzstan? Is that where it was? Where it was? Yeah, Kyrgyzstan. How did that come about? I don't know. They found me, but they were actually working with USAID. So they brought a lot of American and Canadian bloggers out there also. What's it like in Kyrgyzstan? It's gorgeous. It's it's mostly mountains. The country, I think, is something like 75% mountains. It's covered in glaciers. It really looked to me like Patagonia. And how long were you there for? About nine days, and I was out backpacking for eight of them. Is that where... Who's that comedian that made a, um, a show? From, he was from there, right? Kyrgyzstan? Asha Baron Cohen. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> he's, he's English, but I think his character Borat was from Kazakhstan. Okay. <laughs> uh, how about the ad revenue on, on your site? How, what's the percentage that that brings in, Kristen? It's definitely bringing in more now than it ever has before. So my hope is actually to do less of this active travel and to take myself off of the road as much because 11 collaborations in a 12 month period is truly insane. (laughs) So the lovely thing is there are other ways that I can make money now. And it's hard to turn things down when it's, when it's actually your dream job. And um, I'm realizing now that I got to do all that and I'm so grateful, but I want to step back a little bit. The ad revenue is pretty helpful in that regard. So I'm able to make up for not taking a paid opportunity in January, whereas last year that revenue wouldn't have been able to come from the ads. So I would like for it to be a bigger part of it moving forward. So for going forward, you're going to focus on ads and then courses also and maybe book sales and as well? Yes. And I actually am in the process of buying a vacation rental in Hawaii. Oh, wow. That sounds cool. Um, and then your courses, how many courses do you have? Right now I have one, it's a photography course, but I'm going to be coming out with another one, probably two in 2020. Do you know what those will be on? Absolutely. One will be a mentorship program for female travel bloggers to get to the next level. 
That's what I was thinking would be good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my plan is to, it's really so much mindset stuff. And I think laser focusing on search engine optimization and really figuring out what it is that you're good at. And so that is where I think I can really shine as well as, again, there's so many opportunities coming my way that I can't take. And I would love to have a pool of really talented bloggers who I can pass those opportunities to. So I want this to pay for itself really quickly for them. And how about the other course? Did you mention the second one? Yes. I want to help women become more empowered in their lives. So I'm thinking something like the empowered woman movement or something along those lines, because I never thought of myself as a particularly brave person, but I'm realizing that I, I do represent that for, for some women. And once they start to travel, they realize, oh my gosh, I, I can be brave too. I can do these amazing things too. And so I want to see more women stepping up and really taking ownership of their lives and their abilities. I was actually shocked you said that because looking at all of your social media and website, I, I would consider you very brave, you know, <laughs> but, but it, it kind of makes sense because, you know, being brave is scary as hell. And so like when we're in the midst of these brave things that we do, we're scared, you know, and it's not like just because you're being brave, all of a sudden the fear goes away. It's just, you know, being embracing that fear and being in the middle of it, right? I think that's actually a really important thing to remember that it might not feel great while you do it. And it's really when you're standing on the other side of it, having achieved something that you can look back on it and say, okay, I'm glad I did that. Yeah. You know what I've done lately is like just, just doing mic micro courageous things or micro brave things like for example we were in um swimming in the south of portugal in the algarve and they have all these caves and they have um um you know this beautiful water and i was like i want to swim under this this cave into this other section of this beach and it looked scary and i didn't know if it was like really that safe or not but i was like i just want to try it and so i did it anyway it took a little while to generate the, generate up the courage and afterwards like my day went so great my whole weekend was just amazing just because i did that little thing and it like shifted everything and i think like even if we incorporate these in our daily lives with just little small things maybe it's um, you know, doing a, doing a 60 second cold shower, or maybe it's like, you know, running up the stairs instead of, uh, just, you know, walking slowly up the stairs like we do all the time. Um, I think it can really change our lives if we do these like micro courageous or micro brave things on a regular basis. Such a good point. Okay. So back to the business. So we talked about your business model, uh, traffic ads, courses, tours, and then books. How, how are the book sales doing for you? A lot stronger when they first came out to be completely honest, but I think a lot of people who would have bought it have by now. And so I think there's also a lot, a lot of resources out there that people can draw from, and maybe they're more likely to want a course to guide them through things these days. So there's definitely still people buying the books. But back when I first came out with them, I didn't have the ad revenue. I didn't have the revenue coming from getting hired to do opportunities in all these different places. So for me, even to be making a couple of thousand extra per month was huge because I had no almost nothing before. I'm, I'm curious. Like I know you've, it's been a long time since you left, the, you started traveling in 2012. Um, but it seems like you have an incredible amount of content. Like I was going through your blogs, you have a couple books. Um, when, how do you balance your time to write? And then your design is amazing as well. So like each blog post for the listeners, if you check out Christian's website, um, all of our blog posts, the designs for each blog post looks like it's a book cover in itself. And so, um, how do you, so balance the time to write and create content, uh, when you're traveling also when you're creating videos as well, cause those are done really good. Um, and then, and then creating a design after that, like how, how does that work out for you? I think that you need to have people helping you when you're running a business and it's at a certain place. And so, like I said, I don't run my own email inbox anymore. Um, obviously, if you email Kristen, you'll get me. But for the most part, all of the contact information on all of my social and my website goes to my assistant, Ashley. And she also does the Pinterest pins. I do all of the photography. 
the creative stuff is still me. And I think that's important. But if there's anything else that I really don't need to do, I just make sure that someone else is doing it. And I think the other important thing is to write in the moment and write from the heart. And when I'm able to do that, it just pours out of me. So I try to write when I'm in transit, coming back from whatever it is that I just experienced. And I, I like to speak into my phone and then edit it later. And I think that's why a lot of the blog posts come off as conversational because they very much are. Mm, that's a good idea. So writing in the moment. So of course you mentioned like when you're in transit going back to or going to a new destination or back from a destination. Um, any other times you write in the moment? Like I've, I wake up sometimes, you know, early in the morning, like 5 a.m. and I'm really inspired, but I never just like get up and get on the computer and start writing. I probably should. But um, when when do those moments hit you and, and when do you decide and how do you decide to, to write it? For me, most of my inspiration comes early in the morning as well. I'm also an early riser. And when I'm in Reno, I'm usually in spin class by 6 a.m. And it just energizes me so much. And then after that, I'm out of the shower and straight onto the computer and I'm just writing. And it's it's after usually some meditation, some journaling, whatever it takes to make sure that my mind is in a state where what's coming up is really one of my own thoughts. So. I think that social media can really be a killer of productivity, not just because it takes your time, but also what's it putting in your brain. Are you writing every morning then, Kristen? Not every single morning. There are some days where I'm waking up and hiking and then taking photos. And so that's a different artistic endeavor. But since photography and videography, I think is such an important and big part of a travel brand, I tend to be doing some kind of creative endeavor almost every day. And um I think that's the other thing. Now that it's my own business, my baby, I don't necessarily have very clear boundaries between when it's work time and when it's relaxation time. I like to give my friends and my loved ones my full attention when I'm with them. But when I have downtime, I'm probably working or reading something to help me get better at something. Do you have a regular schedule when you're, like say you're at home in Reno now, um, do you wake up at a certain time? Do you creative work in the morning or do you just kind of go with, do you have like most important tasks you're going to do in the, uh, each day or do you just kind of go with the flow? I definitely like more structure. I wake up at usually around five thirty, go to spin class, come back and then start on my work because I know that by the afternoon I'm going to start losing steam. And so maybe by then I'll start working on making dinner because I like to cook for myself when I'm home since I'm not able to most of the time on the road or trying to do something else where I'm not looking at a screen anymore. And I also think it's important to journal about what I'm going to do. So I really like John Lee Dumas freedom journal and you set out your goals for the day so that I'm never sitting down like, Oh, what am I actually doing right now? And then do you, when you're traveling, do you try to maintain a regular schedule? It's so hard. <laughs> I want to, but it's so hard. Uh, that's one of my biggest struggles, to be honest. I know how it feels like it is really difficult. Um, okay, so I want to chat more about kind of um, some of the ways on social media that you're generating traffic. Uh, you're definitely number one. It seems like your top two choices are what's working on for social media is Instagram and Pinterest. And then you're doing decent like on YouTube and, and Twitter and Facebook, but not as strong as those two. Um, is so let's, I just want to ask about Instagram, like what's working for you on Instagram, um, to bring people your way and learn more about, uh, your blog and who you are and your travels. What's, in what's interesting about Instagram is I feel like Pinterest, for example, is all about bringing people back to your website, but on Instagram, it's all about what you're doing on that platform. I don't think it's a great driver of traffic. And I think most people would agree with me there that it's really not about necessarily trying to get more people to look at your website. It's getting them to understand that part of your brand. So I might have less crossover than I even think between the two. Can you track how much traffic's coming from Pinterest to your website? Yeah, definitely. Do you know how much it is? Um, it does tend to fluctuate, but it should be, gosh, I can look. <laughs> I'm curious myself. I think it said 1.1 monthly views on Pinterest now. 
1.1 million. You know, by far Google is the biggest driver of traffic for me. And I really think that's true of every top blogger. Do you, so what's working for you with, with Google and SEO to bring more, you know, of course you've got tons of content out there, but is there anything that you're focused on regarding SEO that, that you think helps you? Oh, I'll never tell. You'll never tell. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm kidding. Um, I think the most important thing, and this is what they keep going back to is look, people who are doing black hat tactics, it's not going to work out for you in the long run. And I, I don't do that. I really focus on putting out the absolute best content that there could ever be on this topic. And I'm not going around afterwards saying like, Hey, can you link to me? And then I'll link to you. It's, it's not a good strategy. What, what you need to do is make your content, the absolute best content that that person could ever find on the topic and then give them everything else they might be wondering about while they're there. Yeah, serve serve them. Serve the people who come to your website. Think about them. I like that mentality. So for YouTube, you've got quite a few videos out there, which are really good. I was checking them out. Actually, you did one Thailand video, and it brought up some bad memories from from, from for me because um, I traveled with an ex-girlfriend to a lot of the places that you had on your, your Thailand video, and I was like, oh... This is bringing up some funny stuff, but anyway, <laughs> it was done really well. <laughs> like, oh no! <laughs> yeah, no, it was a great video. The places were fantastic. <laughs> yes, it's just so. Anyway, uh, for you, like, um, what do you? What's your thoughts on YouTube? Uh, you know, it's questionable for a lot of people because it's a lot of work that they put out um, and the videos they put out there. Like, do you do you think? the long term do you, do you plan on using YouTube and staying on YouTube consistently over the next, you know, five or 10 years? What's your thoughts? It's absolutely my biggest area of focus right now, apart from my website. How come? Well, I mean, you can look at my Instagram and see the places I've been and maybe you can read the captions and get some, some sense of who I am, but I'm actually incredibly goofy and ridiculous. And I feel like nowhere can you get that as well as looking at a video. Um, how is the conversion from YouTube to the website? Do you know? Those who do come from YouTube are really good traffic because they stay and they look at a lot of pages. I feel like they really want to get to know you. The other great thing about YouTube is it boosts SEO. It's also owned by Google. So I, I think that even if there's not a huge volume of traffic coming from YouTube, which there's not right now, the important thing is Again, it might be a totally different audience on YouTube, but can you reach more people with your message? Do you believe in your message and think it's worth spreading? I think if that's your drive, then you want to be on the platforms that allow you to do that. How much time are you spending on a video? It depends on the video. In some cases, I mean, my series about buying this house in Hawaii is going to probably be months to a year. It might be several years because I can see a lot of different content about this amazing place in Hawaii. Or I can shoot a tutorial video in 15 minutes in my um, office. So it just depends on what the topic is. And uh, what about faith, your Facebook page? Are you spending much time growing the Facebook page or do you just spend content, put content on the Facebook page from, from your blog and from, from photos and from YouTube? I think Facebook has done a fantastic job of actually, of um, absolutely killing the efficacy of Facebook pages, which is too bad because we have spent a lot of time making their platform better, but it's, it's unfortunate because it's really killed the, the way that you can connect with your audience there. And the same thing will happen with Instagram. It's just a matter of time. However, what I like are Facebook groups. I have a group called the BMTM Solo Female Traveler Connect, and I don't monetize it. There's nothing about it that makes me money. But the point of it is that it's a place for solo female travelers to connect with each other because I kept having readers ask me if they knew of a way that they could meet other women in the places that they're traveling. And I, I never really had a good resource for them. So I just decided to make one. And how about Twitter? What do you think about Twitter? It always seems like, you know, for the entrepreneurial world, Twitter is just not the platform for, for anybody, really. <laughs> Somebody, just a very few people. But, you know, for the Hollywood world and media world, like Twitter is the platform. Um, what's your thoughts, you know, as a blogger, as a travel blogger on, on using Twitter and using it to promote and growing it? 
I believe that when people are searching for travel related information, they're doing so on Google and maybe YouTube, and they might be looking for inspiration on Instagram, but they're probably not turning to Twitter. That's a good point. Do you put much time into Twitter? I don't. Oh, to follow up on the Pinterest, did you figure out the conversion for Pinterest? It's definitely the highest out of all of my social channels, but it's also a search engine, so that makes sense. But again, Google is by far my biggest contributor to traffic, and my focus is really on making content that is going to rank well on there. What do you recommend for, because you're doing videos when you travel, you're doing awesome photos when you travel, what is the type of equipment that you take with you to to get great videos and photos and and uh, great content? Oh, I'm sure what everyone wants to hear is I'm just doing it all on a phone, but it is an underwater rig, a Sony a7 III with several lenses, a drone, and a selfie vlog camera from Sony that even that one is about $1,000. So it's a lot, and I wish it wasn't, but it is. Is it so roughly the total of all the equipment? How would it how much would it cost? Oh, thousands of dollars, thousands and thousands. Is that a lot of stuff to carry or is it uh can you fit it all in a backpack? Yeah, it's completely its own carry-on. I used to travel carry-on only. Those were the glory days and they're over. <laughs> now you have to check a bag, huh? Oh yeah. <laughs> Otherwise I'll only have electronics. So to wrap things up, Kristen, I want to chat a little bit about managing influence. Now, you, you know, earlier in the show, you did mention that uh, occasionally you'll have some haters or people um, say have some snide remarks on online. And I think anybody that becomes even a micro influencer is going to encounter haters now and then. And it seems really silly, but it's just part of the business, I suppose. Um, for you, what are two or three tips um, that are important in managing the influence that you have? And then if you do get some haters come across you, uh, how do you handle them? I think when you have a certain level of influence, what what starts to happen that you never had to think about before is suddenly every little thing you do is under a microscope. And if you make a mistake, it's not as easy to just apologize and move on as it would be if you didn't have maybe millions of people looking at it. And I can't be likable to millions of people. Nobody can. So, and if I, if I was, that would mean I wasn't really taking a stand on anything or saying anything that really was meaty. And the more that I have shared about my, my core beliefs and what's important to me, of course, the more I've invited criticism. And I just try to celebrate it because that just means that I'm reaching people and at least they're feeling something. And the other big thing about it is, does their opinion matter to me? Do I even know who they are? Are they in the arena too? Are they also working hard at it? I, Brene Brown brings up the uh, the man in the arena quote in her book about vulnerability. And I think it's a really strong point that if they're not also in the arena, they don't know what it's like and their opinion, frankly, doesn't matter. And also nobody I know and love spends time leaving rude comments on the internet. So I don't respect <laughs> those comments either. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, like when you we get those comments, sometimes they can strike a nerve and, and it can be really frustrating because we do put a lot of time and work into our art, our creativity, our businesses. Um, and to hear that, that's disheartening. But like out of all the people that I know, and I know like I feel like I know a lot of people and I surround myself with really good quality people, none of them would sit there and just write uh, hate comments on somebody's social media page especially like just a, a blog, a travel blogger or, you know, a podcaster or something like that, you know, so it's so funny. Um, but there's a lot of people out there that do that. Uh, could you share with us, Kristen, like uh, maybe a comment that you came across that, that really hit you hard um, and how you handled it? And then on the opposite side of that, uh, a comment that you got that really hit, uh, lit, lit you up and warmed your heart that um, was very impactful for you? There's a lot on both sides. I keep a Word document of the positive emails and comments that I get and I have from the beginning so that I can reference that when, when I need to. But 
I almost daily I get at least a, a message or a, a private message from someone saying that they didn't think that they could do it and now they are or they're about to and they're so thankful for the guidance or maybe they come back from a trip and they tell me that it really meant a lot to them to have the guidance because they didn't know before they went that it would be okay. And so they sometimes just needed someone to tell them it would be okay. I really wish that existed before I went because I was terrified too before I traveled by myself. And so that's why I wanna come out with a course about bravery and building up confidence because I really believe that it's so needed. And then in terms of negativity, I mean, people will body shame, which is hilarious, or they might even, you know, try to say that they've been a follower for a long time, but XYZ is something that they just can't get behind and they're unsubscribing. And I'm really just like, okay, bye. <laughs> That's fine. If it really, you know, the funny thing is, I find that I almost don't need to respond to rude comments because someone else in my audience will often jump in and say something or defend me. But if something really requires my response, I try not to respond when I'm angry or if I am um, triggered by it. I give myself some time to cool off. I remind myself that this is really not about me. It's about them. And I try to respond as kindly as I can. Very cool. I love the way you handle that. Um, Kristen, we're going to wrap the show up there. I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, is uh, Thank you so much for sharing your tips and your tricks and all your wisdom with us. If the listeners want to reach out and learn more about what you have going on, where's the best place they could do that at? Come to my blog, BeMyTravelMuse.com, and I respond to all of the comments on there personally. So you can always reach me there. And please do also check me out on YouTube because it's the same thing, and I would love your feedback on what you want to see. Yes, awesome. Kristen, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. Listeners, uh, thank you guys for coming on as well. And we'll see you on the next episode. Goodbye, Kristen. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high-performance productivity coaching and our five, six, seven, and eight-figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.